0: He's done all the hard stuff. We asked at reading Matthew 8:28, and if you're reading this Bible, it's in on page 686. I won't be reading from that, because that writing's way too small. So if you have the other Bible, I'm sorry I didn't look that one up. 706 Matthew 8, starting at verse 28. When he arrived at the other side in the region of Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. When they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Jesus stepped into a boat crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to men. it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners.
1: Let's uh, commit our time to prayer. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to share together today. Please help us to put the noise and the business of the week aside and help us to focus on what your word has to say to us today. Thank you for this passage reminding us of who Jesus is, and guide me as I share your message. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I hope it's not too much of a shock to you, but you're not perfect. (laughs) There's lots of verses we could quote at this point, but let's just say we all need healing. So... If you're looking for a spiritual healer, how would you decide which one's best for you? Well, the best way to do that, Google. <laughs> so I fired up Google this week to see what I could track down. I found one person um, in Australia, his name's Serge, so we'll call him Aussie Surge. Um, this is what his website states. He's carving a way for others to be inspired to claim their extraordinariness and shine in their own right. He's the author of ten published books. His work ethics, his teachings and his dedication to humanity are now the inspiration to a large international group of people. He is a consultant to large business, corporate businesses. He volunteers his time freely to many community projects across a wide range of topics and encourages others to also give back to their field of service and it goes on and it goes on. There's testimonials about how people's lives have been changed. Sounds impressive, maybe a bit too good to be true. Well in today's passage we learn about the qualifications of Jesus in this area. Would you like to open up your Bibles to Matthew 8 and we'll work through the three scenes. I think you'll see a lot of similarities with the passage and the previous section that Peter worked through last week so we'll consider this the sequel I can't think of any sequels that were ever better than the original, but let's not go there. Um, we're going to start at verse 28. We begin with Jesus arriving by boat in the region of the Gadarenes after calming the storm. Now, this is not Jewish territory, as you may have guessed, based on the pigs. Jesus had requested to come across the Sea of Galilee to withdraw from the crowds. Uh, he wanted a break, I think. But when he arrived at the shore, two demon-possessed men met him. The state of these men is described in more detail in the other Gospels, but they were not in a good way. I get Jacob to come up now, but I won't do that to you, Jacob. I'm imagining they looked like someone who'd been living on the street for quite some time and had taken a few high-octane boosts along the way. It's interesting that they were so violent to others, but they were very different to Jesus. Let's read from verse 29, when the demons spoke. "'What do you want with us, Son of God?' they shouted." Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. So as you can see in verse 29, they recognised Jesus as the Son of God. In Mark's Gospel, it says that one of the men ran up and bowed down before him. They begged Jesus. They knew he had control over them. Did you see the statement about the appointed time? What are they worried about here? What's the threat? These demons could see that Jesus had authority over them and knew that the day would be coming when they would be judged. We can see the demons knew Jesus had authority, but I'm not sure it was so obvious to those around him. So to show his power over these demons, he instructed them to leave the men and to enter the pigs. This also shows the compassion he has for the two men because they've now been freed from their torture and from their isolation. So how would you expect the people from the nearby town to respond? I would have thought they would have been grateful as I saw the amazing transition of these two men but that's not how they responded. Let's read verse 33. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave the region. It looks like the focus was not so much on the demon-possessed men, does it? I think it was more on the pigs. We aren't told exactly why they pleaded for Jesus to leave. Maybe it was because they didn't want to lose any more livestock. Maybe they were scared. Maybe this was just all too much for them. Whatever the reason, they didn't want to change. I reckon that still happens today. I'm sure you've had a conversation with a non-Christian friend or family member where they know who Jesus is, but they're not interested. You know, fingers in the ear, la, la, la. Keep praying for them. What about the poor pigs and the farmer? I'm guessing there wasn't insurance to cover livestock loss back then. There is a lot of pigs here. The Gospels, some of the Gospels put the number at around 2,000. So why were the pigs chosen to host the demons? Why were they allowed to be killed? I don't know the answers to all these questions, but let me summarise by saying it's not about the pigs. So what is the take-home message from this section? In last week's message we saw Jesus' power over disease and the power over the wind and the waves and today we see another example of his power over demons. It's a comfort to know that not only does Jesus have authority to judge but he also has victory over evil. God's word reminds us that there is evil in this universe and that God will bring justice. There is comfort in knowing that evil will not prevail. We get a taste of this in this passage. How about you? Do you get anxious or worried when you see evil happening around you? Do you get frightened by what's going on? This passage reminds us that Jesus has control over the evil in our universe. We should also remember that we are valuable to God and he knows what is best for us. The victory of Jesus in this passage is a taste of what we see on on the cross and his resurrection. Let's move on to the next section at the start of chapter 9. Jesus has made it back to his own town of Capernaum and a paralysed man was brought to him. Now in biblical times there was quite a stigma with being in this condition. It was a common belief that all disease and afflictions were the direct result of sin. For example in John chapter 9 the disciples asked Jesus whose sin caused this man to be blind?" was it his or his parents so we can see why this paralyzed man was determined to see jesus at any cost mark's gospel goes into more detail around this scene and how the man got access to jesus can you imagine being in a a crowded house standing room only and hearing scratching above you on the roof then getting fragments of clay and tile and straw falling down on top of you and then seeing four men stick their head over th- through the hole looking down on you then they start lowering somebody down on a mat let's read verse two to see what happens some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat when jesus saw their faith he said to the paralytic take heart son your sins are forgiven jesus sees their faith and he forgives yet he's still paralyzed I wonder if that's what they were expecting. All five men here were desperate for this man to be healed and to be able to walk. They must be scratching their heads at this point. Of course, they wanted his legs to be healed, but there was something more important. What was this man's greatest need? What is our greatest need? It is to be healed spiritually. Did this man have sin in his life? Absolutely. Did he need forgiveness? absolutely did he need to be physically healed well it would have made life a lot easier at the men's breakfast yesterday David shared about his experiences as a doctor in the emergency ward David sees a lot of suffering and he shared about his journey of reconciling this suffering with God's grace David made a very interesting observation we spend a lot of time asking the why me questions when we suffer Maybe we should spend more time focusing on the gifts and the blessings we receive receive from God throughout our whole life. I recently read about a woman who had an accident resulting in a long hospital stay and during that time she was ministered to and recognised her need for a saviour. I doubt the man in this passage would have recognised he needed forgiveness if he wasn't paralysed. So let's have a look at the reaction of the Pharisees to Jesus' statement let's read from verse 3 at this some of the teachers of the law said to themselves this fellow is blaspheming so based on their logic they're absolutely correct let's think it through from their point of view man cannot forgive sins forgiveness can only come from God and seeing these leaders believe that Jesus was nothing more than a man there's only one conclusion blasphemy so how does jesus address this let's read from verse four knowing their thoughts jesus said why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk but so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins then he said to the paralytic get up take your mat and go home and the man got up and went home don't you love the simplicity get up go home he got up he went home the first thing we see that jesus knew their thoughts i'm guessing there was some pretty negative body language in the room as well angry faces folded arms but he throws a question at them what is easier to forgive sins or to heal a paralyzed man jesus is saying to these leaders as you say if only god can forgive sins that must be the harder thing to do It may have been argued by these leaders that anyone can say your sins are forgiven, but how can we tell that they are? So Jesus says to them, to prove to you who I am, let me do the lesser thing. Let me tell this man to get up and walk. And he did. I'm sure the man was overjoyed at at this point, and I'm sure the four friends were too. Hopefully they didn't jump too much on the roof. So what's the key point of this section? We've seen Jesus' authority over demons, and now we see that he has the authority to forgive. As our kids' song says, only God can do that. This is the Son of God who provides forgiveness to those who recognise their need of a Saviour. It's hard for us to understand how God came in the flesh to live amongst us, and I'm going to leave that detailed study and analysis to somebody far more qualified than me. But what we see here today is that Jesus is God. Jesus has authority to forgive sins. Imagine you had to go to the courthouse around the corner and stand in front of a judge knowing that you were guilty. How would you feel? Imagine if you had to stand face to face in front of a holy God and share your whole life in front of him. How would you feel? We need forgiveness. So, what's important to you? How would you like that long term health issue sorted? How would you like that injury removed? How would you like more hair? I could go on. What about being forgiven and standing in God's grace? What about having the eternal hope of one day meeting our saviour face to face? That's far more valuable than being able to walk. So far we've seen Jesus' power over demons and his authority to forgive sins. Pretty good qualifications you would say so far so now let's move into the next section and see who he wants to save and heal let's start at verse 9 as jesus went from there he saw a man named matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth follow me he told him and matthew got up and followed him while jesus was having dinner at matthew's house many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples when the pharisees saw this they asked his disciples why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners on hearing this Jesus said it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick but go and learn what this means I desire mercy not sacrifice for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners let's just pause for a moment and have a look at Matthew this guy is not any old sinner he's a tax collector and they get their own category you see that? Tax collectors and sinners. So what is it about tax collectors that makes them so despised? These guys were not collecting taxes for their own country, they were doing it for the occupying country of Rome. So where is Matthew's loyalty? Rome. Each tax collector bought a franchise that allowed them to charge taxes in their own area. Do you know franchises have been around that long? I wonder if there was a gym's tax collecting somewhere nearby. (laughs) They were required to collect a certain amount of taxes and anything they collected beyond that went straight into their pockets. Because they were working for the Romans, there wasn't much the locals could do about it. Extortion is a word that comes to mind. Tax collectors became very rich and they were despised by the people of the land. So it's interesting that this is the person that Jesus approaches. The most despised, the worst of all sinners. And Jesus says to Matthew, follow me. And that's exactly what Matthew does. Matthew had a lot to lose financially speaking. Think about all all those taxes going into his pockets. He'd been building up significant riches. But he has now come face to face with his saviour and the old life was gone. He's found a much greater treasure. This is a radical change. Jesus' forgiveness extends to the outcasts of society. It is available to all who seek him. Now what would you do next if you are in Matthew's shoes? Well, food. Matthew invites Jesus and his disciples to dinner. This is significant because this is the first time in probably a very long time Matthew feels accepted. He's accepted by the people of God. His status has changed. As well as Jesus and his disciples, a number of Matthew's colleagues also came along and ate with them. These people were the untouchables, the ones that John West rejects. We aren't told much about what Matthew's friends thought of Jesus, but they were willing to eat with him. And so now we turn to the ever-present Pharisees. Not so surprisingly, they weren't happy with what they saw. So what did they do? Who did these bold Pharisees confront? Jesus? No, his disciples. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Maybe they were too afraid to face Jesus. Maybe they were trying to test the loyalty of the disciples. Either way, their question, which is really more of a statement, shows two things about the Pharisees. Firstly, they were convinced that they were spiritually righteous and didn't need forgiveness. Secondly, the Pharisees believed that these tax collectors and sinners did not deserve forgiveness. It's easy to step into that self-righteous space, isn't it? To think we're better than someone else or to not associate with certain people. These Pharisees looked down on the tax collectors and on one level you can understand it but the concern is they don't want them to change. If we saw a radical change in somebody like uh, a gang member, for example, I would hope we would be praising God and accepting them into our church family. But what we see in these Pharisees is the opposite. They want nothing to do with them. Now Jesus heard their question to the disciples and he responds to the Pharisees. Firstly, he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. What he's saying to them is the sick need to be healed, sinners need to be forgiven and restored. If you guys are spiritually righteous, you don't need my help. But there are people here who know and confess that they are spiritually sick and I'm here to forgive and heal them. Then Jesus tells the Pharisees to go and learn a passage that they would be familiar with. I don't think they would have appreciated that. He quotes from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, which says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. We are called to show mercy and forgiveness rather than to judge and condemn. Whilst he may be addressing this at the Pharisees, it is just as important for us today to be reminded of this. So what about us? Do you get a bit self-righteous? What do you think it means to be self-righteous? Well, to me, I think it means you're focusing on other people's issues and putting yourself up on a pedestal. Ever sat in a sermon and thought, I hope he's listening to this? Ever said that about me? No, don't pretend it. Um, (laughs) Do you ever stop and check in on how you are going in your walk with God? And your relationships with those that you come in contact with why don't you ask someone close to you parents if you want an honest answer ask your kids let's make sure we don't focus on comparing ourselves to others and make sure that we focus on making ourselves right before god so let's recap what we've covered here today firstly we saw that jesus has authority over evil It's a great comfort to know that we don't need to be distressed about the evil forces around us. We know that Jesus is in in control. Secondly, we saw that Jesus has authority to forgive sins. We know that Jesus is no ordinary man. He is God in flesh and is worthy of our praise. Thirdly, we saw the radical change in Matthew from an outcast to becoming a disciple of Jesus and being welcomed into a family of believers what we've seen today is a taste of the power of Jesus we see his ultimate power and his ultimate gift in his death on the cross and his resurrection he was the perfect sacrifice for our sins once and for all and if we accept his forgiveness and change from our old ways then just like Matthew we are welcomed into his family What about the healer I mentioned at the start of the service? Aussie Surge. Well, I looked into some other media reports. Here's another article I found. A former Sydney tennis coach turned self-styled spiritual healer has suffered a spectacular loss in his Supreme Court defamation case against a former client. After a four person jury found it was true to say he had led a socially harmful cult intentionally indecently touched clients clients and made bogus healing claims. There were lots more but you get the picture. He sounded good but there was no substance underneath. He was no comparison to Jesus. We're to proof today of Jesus authority and his power to heal. Let's not be like the Pharisees and focus on the faults of others. Let's thank God for who he is, for what he's done for each of us. And let's each encourage each other to live more holy lives let's pray our lord and heavenly father we thank you today for the reminder we have seen in your word of not only your power but also your grace thank you for your desire for us to be part of your family we pray that this week we will not be distracted by the world around us but will instead focus on you help us to show mercy to those around us and we pray this in jesus name amen